I think we all agree that Americans love our stuff. <laughs> You're not convinced. All right. Well, the data is overwhelming. For example, average American house has tripled in size from 1980 until today. Why, you might ask? It's to hold the average amount of items, which are for each household, 300,000 items. I want you to consider something that's staggering. 3.1% of the world's children live in the United States, and every year we purchase 40% of all the toys in the world. Everybody say, ouch. That is an ouch. The average American household has more television sets than they do bodies. Our country has more shopping malls than we do high schools. Time Magazine had an article stating that the average American spends $1,300 for every $1,000 that they make. Now, I'm not a mathematician, but it doesn't seem like that works out very well, which leads us to understand why consumer household debt is so high. Average American consumer debt in 2022 was $102,000, which was 10% higher than 2020 because most of us got online and started buying stuff because we didn't have anything else to do. So, so yeah, we love our stuff. You love your stuff. It's the air that we breathe. But you know what's interesting, I think, about living in the world that we do is that we don't feel like, like we don't feel like we love our stuff or we don't feel like we have enough stuff. We, we don't always feel that way. And there's a reason, and it's because of our cultural messaging that we're all subject to. And here's what it sounds like. And by the way, it's so strong. We're talking about materialism. We're talking about money and stuff. The voice that we hear, it sounds like this. It sounds like, you know, you need this or you're missing something in your life. And it's sort of making you feel like the wants that we would have are needs that we really have. And then it drives us to go buy all these things, but those things never actually satisfy that voice inside of us that says you need or you want something. So you want, you need, you get, and then you're not satisfied. What do you do? You keep doing it. You want, you need, you get, and you're not satisfied. Do it again. Rinse, repeat. That is the message of the culture today. Some call it materialism. That's what we're talking about. I was uh, recently in the market for a new television. Our television was a decade old, and it started doing weird stuff. We weren't just trying to get an upgrade, although that's fun and cool for a short season. But our TV started booting off the internet and it started stopping movies. And, and so we had a family gathering and we, <laughs> and we talked about getting a new television. So I did what a lot of you would do. I went to Costco and I walked that glamorous TV aisle, <laughs> which I do almost every time I go to Costco. And I don't know why. Why do I do that? I walked the aisle and I walked up to that $479 Samsung 65-inch 7000D. Oh yeah, I know what it is. $479.99. Under $500, I didn't know it existed. It, not, not in a name brand, not maybe one that I'd never heard of before, but this was a Samsung and I thought, this is an amazing thing. But then I looked to the left and there was another Samsung for $850. But then you know what happens, you keep going. $1,200, $1,500, different brands, different options. And I started to get kind of like overwhelmed because all things are not equal, apparently. OLED, QLED, full array LED, Neo QLED, and for the select buyers among us, 8K, whatever, whatever that is. You could see like every detail on someone's face that's not even really e there. No wonder people think there are aliens, you know. <laughs> we can't even with our own eyeballs see each other that way. But I was confused because I don't understand the options at all in televisions. Is anybody with me? Can I just get like some affirmation here? You went to buy a mattress and you went to buy a TV and you couldn't figure out what the difference was. But you know that if you buy a cheap one, you feel like I'm missing out on a lot of other stuff. There's a lot of things I don't get. And so I did what you do. I did like three months of research. You can ask my wife. She's right here. 
I get online, which I told you not to do much of last week. I got online and I started doing <laughs> the research and I was more confused. And you know what I did? I went down to Costco and I bought that $479 Samsung TV. So yeah, you right there. That's what I did. Two weeks later, <laughs> you don't know where I'm going. Stop judging. Stop it. Stop it now. Two weeks later, we're watching television and my wife says to me, I'm sorry, she says to me, this doesn't seem any better than what we had. <laughs> this is what she said. This is what she said. And there's that proud guy in me that wants to prove that we made a good investment. No, wait a minute. I think, I think the light's hitting it in the wrong way. Or, 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 or perhaps I, I, don't have it on, on, I don't have the options. that all the, all the options we have aren't being used right now. And we just need to figure out this, this, this remote, you know, or maybe AI is, is preventing some of the things. And, or, 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 or our internet isn't strong enough. I, I don't know. But I think this is an experience that we all have. It's such a weird thing that we experience in this materialistic world. And, and I, want, I want to ask you a question today. It's a provocative question. I'm coming after you. You just need to know that up front. How much is enough? How much is enough? How much money is, is enough? How much stuff do we really need? That's a great question for us today. Well, I want to, I want to talk to you about this a little bit, and I want to start by targeting three cultural lies about money and stuff. Now, you might be somewhere you know, in the spectrum here of believing this, but even if you say, I don't believe this, it's the air that we breathe. It's, it's what we participate in or what's around us coming at us all the time. And I wanna characterize these three lies with one word. I wanna summarize it by saying, here, here's the cultural, cultural word that we experience all the time, more. That's what it is, more. You need, I need more. Everybody say more. That's, that's the pressure on all of us, more. We're missing something, we need more. There's something we don't have, we need, we need more. So here's lie number one. More money and stuff will make us more happy. The world of advertisement says if you buy this, you will be satisfied. You will be happy. You will be blessed. And here's the thing, some advertisements, they just flat out say it to you. They do, they just, they're not even apologizing for it. They're just saying, you, if you get this, you're gonna be happy. I've seen many advertisements this week. I couldn't believe it. I thought they're not even hiding it anymore. They, be, they believe this. Here's the question. Do our possessions, our new possessions or the things that we acquire, do they make us happy temporarily? Yes, I think they do. How many of you have gotten the new TV and you felt really good about it? How long did that last? <laughs> How about the new car? The new car was really cool for a little bit, wasn't it? And then it wasn't so new anymore. Something happened. It all wore off. And I we got a new car and I was like, wow, these options. I haven't figured out how to use these options yet. And there are days where I long for my 1987 Nissan Stanza with blue interior and a legal tint. I want to go back to the good old days where it was simple. You just open the door, you put your key in the ignition, and you drive. You don't have to argue with AI. You don't have to figure out if you're doing something wrong or you're hitting a rumble strip that didn't exist because you went out of the lane. If you don't know what that is, you, you will. <laughs> but you know what's interesting is that statistics tell us more does not make us happy. Researchers looked at kids across the socioeconomic spectrum and they found that the most troubled, and by troubled I mean depressed children or the depressed kids, they all came from mostly affluent homes. So they had more, but they didn't feel happier about having more. It didn't satisfy them. Wow. The richest person in one era of biblical times, King Solomon, he knew this was true, and this is what he said, Ecclesiastes 5.10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth, this could also be possessions, whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. He's talking about the acquiring of money and the acquiring of wealth. It does not satisfy the human heart. In fact, it cannot, and it never will. So that's lie number one. Lie number two, more money and stuff will make us more important. This is the lie that we are the sum total 
of our wealth and our possessions. So what we have is what we are. Our status defines success. And this is why the rich and famous flaunt it all over the place. They've got to have the cars. I mean, I never understood a Bugatti in my life. Like, what is a Bugatti? And you go online and you find out these are like million-dollar cars, but you can't really drive them to the store and back. They're all for show. That's what they are. I mean, to fix a Bugatti is is tens of thousands of dollars. You buy it and then you got to fix it. And so it's really a showpiece. And social media has put this on full display. If an influencer or a famous person wears a t-shirt, everybody say cotton. (laughs) It's just cotton. They wear a t-shirt. All of a sudden that t-shirt is worth 50, 100, $1,000 more than what it's really worth. And I want to tell you something, that t-shirt is not magical and it doesn't do you any better than the one you have on right now. I don't know. They got all kinds of brands out there and they try to convince it. Oh, this is a a very important brand. It's a (laughs) t-shirt. You can wear it to the gym. You can sleep in it. It's a shirt. (laughs) But see, when they wear it and then we wear it, it says something about me when I wear it. Like I'm like them. I don't want to be like them. In fact, I think we should protest all of that by just wearing all the old brands and bring them all back. Amen? Amen. We just wear all the old brands, bring them back. We'll just have funky day. And everybody just comes to church looking funky. (laughs) How are we going to come against this? You know, how are we going to win? What's hiding underneath, I think, this idea of status or more money, more stuff makes us more important is the sin of idolatry. Namely, it's the worship of self. It's, and, and here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, deny self, but the world says, exalt self. Jesus teaches us that really what we need to do is focus on his king and he's the king and his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then we'll have everything else. We're supposed to make his status known, not our own. But the worldly lie is is to make ourselves known, to make much of self. Here's the third lie. More money and stuff will make us more secure. The concept of financial security is to have enough to take care of your needs and to live comfortably. Now, park it for a second. I think it's wise to save for retirement. I don't think we should be a burden on society. I don't think we should be a burden on others as much as it depends on us. I don't think we should be wasteful or negligent. None of that's the right thing to do. But can I tell you today that we cannot trust in our savings? You cannot just trust in your savings. And I'm going to show you how. What if the market crashes? What if you get sick and you get some kind of disease, God help us, God forbid this happen, but what if you get sick and it drains your savings account? That money that you stocked up, all of a sudden it starts to dwindle faster than you, you ever imagined. What if you got sued? We're living in a world that Sue had, I know a guy got into a car accident, lost everything because he didn't have enough insurance, lost everything except for his house. Every dollar he saved, gone, except for his house. That's all he had left over. I bet you he didn't plan for that, did he? No, see, see, the thing is, is that we don't know what's coming. And here's what we have to know. The lie might tell us that if you acquire enough, you're going to be fine. It's not true. You and I still have to depend on our source. And his name is Jesus. The world will tell you whatever it does. And friends, you might have enough. You've got this big nest egg and you feel pretty good. You're like, you know, I'm set. We're set. Honey, we're set. We're set. Everything's going to be fine. But you don't know what's around the corner. I'm not trying to make you fearful. I'm just saying we need to trust God more than we've ever trusted God before. Whatever we have is not, is, is not, is not where we put our trust. This is not full reality. Proverbs 18.11 says, the rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety and security. It's a high wall. Nothing can climb over my security. Nothing can get at all of my savings. I've got enough to take care of my family for the rest of our our lives. You know what's interesting about this? Some of the richest people in the world, even though they have more money than we could ever imagine, never stop working. Has Bill Gates stopped working? Does that man have enough money? No, he's, he's still working. What about Jeff Bezos? Is that, that guy stopped working? Well, I mean, his divorce cut it in half, so there's that. 
not to make fun, but I mean, you, you live a worldly life and it's just gonna, <laughs> the Bible says that riches are fleeting. That's what it says, riches are fleeting. You'll lose them, you'll lose them. And this is what we know, it's, it's, it's a mindset. I'm safe, I don't have to trust God. My portfolio is secure, my source, my supply. And subtly underneath, even some of these wise teachings that we believe today, subtly what it tells us is that Jesus is not our source that we don't have to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, financial things will be added unto us. We don't have to do that. We don't need anyone and we don't need anything. We just need our big golden nest egg. Just acquire, just save. See, that even sounds like wisdom. There's aspects of it that we would agree to, but look what it can do. If we're not careful, even the things that sound like wisdom in this world, look what it can do. It can undermine the lordship of Jesus, that he is absolutely everything. So these are three lies, but I also want to talk about three truths that Jesus taught about money and stuff. Matthew chapter six, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Most of us know it quite well. Jesus contrasted worldly living and kingdom living. He did it with great clarity. And one of the many topics that he addresses in his sermon, specifically in chapter six, is money, wealth, and possessions. And he masterfully wove this subject into a greater conversation because he starts in verse one by telling people who are listening to him, this is how you don't or shouldn't practice your righteousness before others. Like you should not give fast and pray in a way where you're trying to get something from people. But in other words, do what you do before the Lord in worship and response to him. So there were people that were doing the right things for the wrong reason, and Jesus corrected that, said, don't do that this way. Do it differently. Do it before God. And then he starts to address all of these different things. He's talking about fasting. He's talking about prayer. And he closes the chapter by talking about worry. He's like, you don't need to worry. Worrying doesn't add a single hour onto your life. And right before he talks about worry and tries to satisfy that issue to his listeners, he talks about money, wealth, and possessions. And don't those seem to go hand in hand? When you don't have, you tend to worry. So this is what he says in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then your, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. And here's what he says. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of the Lord from the mouth of Jesus today. As I read this passage, I saw a backwards progression. He goes through three things, I think, categorically, but if you turn them around, it really makes a lot of sense. And I'm, I'm looking at it from this perspective, leadership, focus, and activity. And so the first point I want to make is your leadership matters. And what I mean by that is who is your leader? Who are you following? Who are you listening to? That actually really matters because he says in verse 24, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot. It is not possible. Serving God and well simultaneously is not something that you and I can do. Now, you can have wealth, but you cannot serve wealth. It cannot be your master. He did not say you cannot have it. He said you cannot serve it. Now, there is a poverty mentality sometimes in the church where they think that godliness is to be sort of poor or to just get by. That, that is not true. How could people be generous ever if they never had anything to give? Friends, come on. That's not what he's saying. Those little words in there, we have to be very careful. But obviously, we want to reject this idea that we are going after wealth and we are going after status and we are going after prosperity. No, no, no. We go after Jesus and whatever he wants us to have, we're good with that. And we use it for kingdom purposes. You've heard me talk about the Word of Faith movement, which I reject wholeheartedly, 100%. Not ashamed about that. Don't want to get an email. I'm just telling you. 
I want your body to be healthy and I want you to increase, but to the degree that you are a kingdom person, I want you to increase because it will kill you if it's just for you. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't serve both. And here's why. God and wealth have competing directions. They have competing visions. They have competing voices. And you can only serve one. Materialism says we need more, but God will often say you need to give more. And the question is, which voice are you going to listen to? And Jesus says you can't listen to or you cannot follow both. It's not about lip service. We can say, I follow Jesus and we can say all of that. But if you're really following the world and you're pursuing your own thing and Jesus isn't a part of it, or we just want to be secure or we want to be happy, if we're really pursuing that, you can say whatever you want. But if that's really the trajectory of our heart, then we need to receive the conviction of the spirit. Lord, redirect me, correct me, edit, do whatever you need to do. Make adjustments in my life. I just want what you want. I wanna do what you want me to do. I wanna give the way you want me to give. All of it is on the table. I don't wanna have a competing voice. When God increases me or say he does increase you, I I don't wanna have a negotiation. If I start making more money or things start happening in my life or you get an inheritance, it's like, oh, what do I do now? And the first thing is we're thinking about how we can increase our livelihood or or the way that we live or, or the things that we have. See, friends, you do have a table and, and there are seats around this table, the table of your heart. And you gotta be careful who you let have a seat. If you let the Lord have a seat and then you let the world's voice have a seat and you let other people have a seat. And so here's what you do. You got big decisions in your life that you gotta make. And, and they have to do with money and stuff and savings and future and all of that. And, and here you sit down at the conference table of your heart and you go, Lord, what, what, do you, what do you think about this? And the Lord says, here's what I want you to do. And you go, wow, that's, that's really interesting. Thank you, Lord, for your perspective. <laughs> Very much appreciate, appreciate you weighing in on that. And then we say to the the cultural, we wouldn't call it that, of course, because we're Christians. We wouldn't call it the cultural voice, but we would say, um, you, soft, comfortable voice who loves me in all seasons of my life, what do you have to say about this future of mine? Say, you know, I think you need more stuff. I think you need some more stuff. I think the reason that you're on edge is, you know, you deserve it. That's what I hear in my heart. You, You know, you deserve it. It's been two vacations, but you know what? You deserve a third. You deserve a third. You're never going to, at the table of your heart, the cultural voice is never going to tell you pay for someone else's vacation. Oh, come on now. Because there's that Americana voice, that soundtrack in the back playing. It's, it's always playing. It's telling, it's that voice of comfort, like Pastor Jandy talked about. We hear it, and it's in the background. Can you hear it? No, yeah. We get quiet enough. Come on. It's playing in the background, wanting us to serve it, wanting us to follow it. The result of this kind of decision-making, when we, when we allow these voices at the table of our heart, Jesus says this, you can't serve two masters. You'll either love the one and hate the other, or you'll love the one and despise the other. You know, when kids are growing up, we've all been kids, so I'm not just talking to parents, although this might be somewhat validating, when kids are growing up, all of us, we, all we want is our own thing. <laughs> it's just true. It's not that all kids are like totally selfish, but mostly. And I was. So let me put me on, out here. I was. I wanted my own thing. I want, when, when the family went to the restaurant, I wasn't thinking about what my brother and sister wanted. I wanted to go to that restaurant, and I fought to get what I wanted. I was like a lawyer. I was trying to prove this is where we need to go. It's closer. I've clocked the mileage. We want to save on gas, dad. I mean, all of this stuff. You do what you got to do to get your way. We're selfish. We're just, we're just selfish. Jesus is discipling us out of that selfishness. But look what Jesus said. If you're serving the one, the materialism of this world, the accumulation of wealth for yourselves, if you're doing that, You'll despise the other. You notice how kids despise the voice of their parents, even though their parents are right? 
Even though parents, good parents, they want the best for their kids and they're trying to tell them the right path. I know you want that, but you really need this. And the kids start to despise their parents' voice. I don't want to listen to my parents because I know what they're going to say. And what if sometimes we get like that with our heavenly father? We despise the voice of truth. We, we despise the voice of reason. We don't want to hear what God has to say because I just want to do this. What's wrong with this? Nothing's really wrong with that, but you've already done this, this, and this, and this is just another piece of all that you are, are doing. And so we have to, again, listen to the words of Jesus that we cannot serve. We cannot serve. You can have wealth, but you cannot serve it. And when you serve Jesus, you know what to do with your wealth. Amen. Number two, your focus matters. Verse 22, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. He's using imagery here to help us understand something. Eyes are a reference to our focus and our direction that consequently become our actions. That's what he's talking about. Our body represents our life. So he's saying, if our focus and direction is king and kingdom, then our whole life will be properly prioritized. Dallas Willard said it this way about this passage. He said, the person who treasures what lies within the kingdom, they see everything in its true worth and relationship. The person who treasures what is on earth, by contrast, sees everything from a perspective that distorts it and systematically misleads them in their practice. Isn't that the truth? A person who is focused and pursuing their thing, the things of the world, will be misled in the activity of their life. Now, here's the truth. Materialism is not about what you have. It's actually about what we think about what we have. How do we see what we have? What do we think about what we have? Materialism is never a problem of possessions. It's always a problem of perspective. That's what it is. Number three, your activity or your actions matter. Verse 19, he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy. Thieves don't break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I wanna just show you this backwards pr progression. He ended with leadership or lordship. But if Jesus is Lord in our life, then his perspective is informing us and you will see it in our actions. We won't store up treasures for ourselves on earth. We will store up for ourselves treasures in heaven because we're taking our direction from Jesus and he's informing our perspective and our actions flow out of that. That's what I see in this passage. And so he's saying, don't store up for yourselves. This is about motivation. This is about motivation. Can you have money? Yes. Can you have stuff? Absolutely. But the question is, does it have you? Does your stuff have you? And sometimes I run into people, and you might be one of those peoples. I run into people who feel like I don't have as much as other people. And so they sort of discount themselves from what Jesus is saying. If you live in America, you have 85, 90% more than most of the world. 75% of the world doesn't have a car. All right. Somehow you got here. And even if you took the bus, a lot of the world doesn't have a bus to take. Everybody say mattress. <laughs> Remember when Pastor Bob was here a couple weeks ago and he showed us pictures and he was like, do you want to sleep on that? And a lot of us were quiet because we didn't want to answer, you know. We just felt guilty. But we have far more than we think that we do. So I'm talking to you, not your friend, not your neighbor, not your family member, friend. I'm talking to you today. You can have stuff, but stuff can't have you. Do you acquire and accumulate primarily for yourself and for your family and for your bubble? Or do you think about the kingdom? Jesus said it like this. He said, when you store up for yourselves treasures on earth, moth can destroy, it can rust, and thieves can steal. Now, in their culture, it's very, very different. I, I don't know. I mean, I barely ever see moths in my life. So you read this, you're like, what is he talking about? I, and I don't have any wool at all. In the ancient world, they had kind of the fab certain fabrics and moths would get into those fabrics and they would eat holes throughout that. And I've had friends that have told me, oh yeah, a moth ate a hole in my wool suit, which I don't relate to at all because all of mine are polyester. <laughs> you know, 
It went on sale. Amen. K&G Fashions. Thank you, South Center. <laughs> but, but, but moths would eat through the fabric. And you know what's interesting about that is they eat through the fabric of the garments that aren't used very often. Isn't that interesting? It's, it's the ones that are inactive the most that, that get eaten up the most. That's what we find. He's talking about how the accumulation of stuff, those things can be ruined, damaged, stolen, or, or taken. But the treasures that we lay up in heaven cannot be damaged or stolen or taken. Jesus is talking about spending earthly treasures on things that bring about eternal results. What what does that mean? It's investing into the kingdom. It's investing into discipleship. It's caring for the poor and the widow and the marginalized. He's talking about the things that equal eternal results that the book talks about again and again. And we have to constantly carry this tension in the world that we're living in. Here's what I don't want you to feel today. I don't want you to feel overwhelmed with guilt and I don't want you to push off what I'm saying like you can walk out and it doesn't matter. I want you to live in a tension. I want you to feel something. I want you to feel something. I want you to feel like maybe you have too much, but I don't want you to feel that in a way where you're just, oh, I'm gonna go delete all this and unsubscribe from all this and give all this away and sort of emotionally respond and, and to please God. That, that's not what we're trying to do here. We're trying to look through the corridor of our life and say, what path am I on? Am I accumulating for myself or am, am I giving more of what I have and what I am for the kingdom purposes. What path am I on? That's the question. I don't think emotionally responding sometimes is the best thing. We have to think about our life and what path that we are currently taking. Jesus says our actions reveal our heart. And the truth is you can identify, if you can identify a person's values, you can identify their God, the one that they are following. Because our values, they tug at our mind They pull at our emotions, they consume our time, they deplete our energy, and we devote ourselves to getting it, keeping it, protecting it, increasing it, enjoying it, but we will die without it. You're not taking it with you. So what is your treasure? What are your priorities? The answer to that question, it will reveal our heart. Jesus says that very plainly. Here's a couple things, though, that I think will help us. Now, if you are taking notes. I have the principles right there on your notes, but there's some things I want to say. Three practices that deliver us from the love of money and stuff. Paul said to Timothy, the love of money is the root or a root of all kinds of evil. Not money, the love of money. The love of money is a root to all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Did you see that? Some people who pursued wealth wandered away from Jesus. Pursuing the thing that was less valuable, they lost what was most valuable. How, you, you go, how does that even happen? It happens because the cultural voice is that strong. Let me warn you today, the cultural voice is that strong to all of us, to all of us. Number one, practice celebrating others rather than comparing yourself to them. Celebrate others. Comparison can be an invitation for jealousy and coveting. The Bible has a lot to say about jealousy and coveting. And I never, ever, as a pastor, have somebody come into my office and say, Pastor Ben, I'm struggling with a sin. I'm struggling with this sin and this sin, it's just crawling all over me and I can't get rid of it. And I go, what is this sin? And they say, jealousy, covetousness. I mean, if that happened, I'd fall out of my chair. It's just never, it's never happened. Um, maybe in, in a few variations, I've heard it, but here, here's, here's what we know. An important way to turn comparison around is to celebrate other people. When somebody gets something, go, you know, man, gal, I don't how, <laughs> weird world, don't know how to, <laughs> person, <laughs> you, <laughs> that's what my parents used to do when they forgot our names, <laughs> You, it's not funny to you, I know, all right. It's really not funny when your parents call you by your sister's name, though. You're like, do I even look like Rachel? I feel like I'm getting healed right now, it's happening. Somebody gets something and you say, I am, 
I'm happy for you. I, I enjoy that. That's awesome. But there's something inside of us that goes, man, I, I, could, I, could, I could use a new car. My car is five years old. Man, that's old. Five years is old. I could use a, I could use a new car. You've never thought this, right? You go over to somebody's house and they're showing you the TV and the, the speaker system. And yours is always really weak. Your speaker system for your television, it's always weak. And you never get that Dolby surround sound. Like you, it's never right. How can I watch this amazing movie and this, this volume is terrible? I don't like it. And you go over to somebody else's house and they show you this padded room <laughs> with speakers just coming out of the... And there's a part of you that... And listen, don't look at me and act like you've never felt this before because I'm just not touching on your thing. That's all it is. But if I found your thing, okay, if you like to crochet or whatever and you go to somebody's house and they got a sewing room and they've got the sewing machine 5000D and you're like, that would save me so much time. So don't act, don't sit there and act like you don't have a thing. I don't. Parents, maybe you, like Bridget and I, we've decided to give our kids a certain amount for their birthday and a certain amount for Christmas. Some of you guys have done that. We're not ashamed about that. Just, we're not. And so as the kids are growing up, they don't do this now. I love my kids. They don't do this now. So I'm not trying to throw them, throw any shade on them. But, but when we're kids, we, when we're growing up, we, we look at, you know, Tony and Sarah and whatever, and we're like, look what they got, <laughs> you know? And their parents too, like there's some value of putting it on social media. Look what I bought my children. They're so happy. <laughs> and you did like a whole scroll session on their Instagram of like everything they bought their kids. You've done, all right, whatever. So, so and they're so happy for like a minute. <laughs> and, then they're, and then they're not. I always thought it was funny. You could take your kids to Disneyland and they're so happy at first. And then a couple hours in, you could spend thousands of dollars and they're, the magic wears off. You know what I'm saying? Like it just, it's demonic. It is. It's just, it's the devil. But your kids, they, they can't, they can't be content when they're in comparison. And so they see somebody else getting something. And as, as a young heart, you go, why didn't I get more? Parents, I want to tell you something. Never give in to that ever. Make a decision about what you're going to do with your family that is reasonable. And when they see somebody getting more, teach them values, not to value things. Teach them values. Never feel bad about your parenting. Do what's right. I love it when parents go, you know, we skipped Christmas this year and we took the money that we would normally spend and we gave it to another family. I love that. Your kids will never forget that. You caught, you caught me the wrong way. You guys are, I feel like this section's done it. They, 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 you, oh, Ben, show you right. You don't even, yeah, buddy. All right. That wasn't even supposed to be funny, but somehow that, the stars aligned, you know, whatever. Number two, practice gratitude for what you have rather than pursuing what you don't have. Look what Solomon said, Ecclesiastes 6, 9, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. He says it. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. Stop dreaming about nice things. Gratitude and thankfulness lead us to a place of being content. It's, you can't just practice being content. As you're thankful and as you're grateful, you come into a place where you're content. You're satisfied with what you have. You're good with where you are. There are two ways for us to have enough. Number one is we get more. I'm telling you not to do that. Number two is desire less. Desire less. Here's the secret. If we desire less, we will be grateful for what we have and content without needing to get more. Desire less. When we see things, something in us should not power up, but we should go, I don't need that. You might even need to speak back to your soul and say that type of stuff. I don't need that. I'm okay. That's contentment. That's contentment. The world doesn't preach contentment because it doesn't sell. It doesn't sell. And so we have to be very careful as we listen to the voice of the world. We discern that voice. It doesn't have a seat 
at the table of our heart. We have to be very, very careful. And I'll tell you what, you can change just like that. The values that you used to have, you might be thinking you still have those values, but if someone else evaluated the way you live your life and the way you spend your money, I'm not sure that it would be the same as it used to be. So be very careful that you're not believing that you're still living like you used to because it can change. I've always thought it was amazing that as we get older, we, we talk like we still have the values of the past, but we start to buy all of the technological advance. We start to buy all the things. We start to get involved in all the things and spend our money in all of these things. And we justify it while we act and talk like it's not something that we're doing. I've seen people do it. I've been sitting in homes where people are talking about how young people spend their money and do all this. And I'm looking out into their yard and I'm seeing so many plants and I went to the nursery and I know what those plants cost. So don't act like you don't have your thing. You do. You have to ask the question, how many plants do you need? You too have to ask that question. Come on, as you get older, don't act like that's, oh, well, this is God's earth and these are God's plants. Stop, stop it, right? Stop it <laughs> right now. Do you need 40 plants? Do you, I'm serious. Like we can apply this to anything. We can apply this to anything. We might be planting in our yard, but are we planting in hearts? We might be making this look really, really beautiful because it pleases me, it satisfies me, but are we helping other people beautify their life? Friend, I'm, I'm trying, you need to feel provoked too. It's not just technology, okay? I know that's it's an easy, that's low-hanging fruit. In 2019, Netflix launched a show called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Anybody remember this? And she went into homes with lots of clutter and she helped them to get rid of that and give away stuff and better organize their life. It seemed like the show was about organizing your life, but there was an unintended consequence that kind of was this positive thing. There was this small undercurrent of a movement of minimalism and simplicity. I remember I found out about this, not because I ever watched the show and I won't, but <laughs> I found out about this because some, uh, literally a pastor friend said, oh yeah, I need, I need to practice this more in my, in my life. And he referred to this show. It like somehow it, a conversation had impacted him. And I want to say something to you and I don't know if it'll settle on you the right way. I'm glad that people started seeing the benefit of simplicity. I'm glad. But I've always thought that it was strange as we sort of reflect on this that it takes a television show for people to prove to themselves that it benefits them, that minimalism and simplicity benefits them. When the Bible teaches us simplicity for the sake of the other. I, I always thought, I said, that just, just like the American mindset, is that a show, now, is it simplicity and minimalism? Amen. But isn't it amazing how it's got a capture your heart to make you believe that it benefits you somehow. I'll practice this because that would make my life more simple, but does it make someone else's life better? I want your life to be more simple, but what fills your life when it's more simple is what's most important to Jesus. It's not just, we don't fast just to not eat more food to be in better shape. We fast so that we have more time with God. We fast so that we can pray and focus on others. Isaiah 58 tells us this. We reduce ourselves so that we can increase in the lives of other people. That's what the Bible teaches. And so just something that I wanna throw out to you is, is so important that as we think about contentment and simplicity, we also think about generosity at the same time. And then lastly, practice giving to others rather than storing up for yourself. One reason I think tithing is genius is because it installs an automatic awareness of kingdom of God instead of self. I love that. I know people fight today about tithing and giving and I, I, I'm just saying, I think it's a very interesting concept that the Lord would put that in front of us to care for kingdom of God advancement. And he wants the people of God to say, this is one way that you can invest right now, consistently, regularly, be thinking about this. As you get paid, I want you to be thinking about the things that matter to the kingdom. I love that. I love that. I do. So we're going to have ushers come forward at this time. And we're going <laughs> to... Come on, I, I was trying. I was, I was going to... It's not a bad idea. I just... I've never manipulated anybody for, for money, but if I, if I could look you in the face and tell you, if I don't do this, I really don't. We're, we're not that church, but I really believe 
in giving through the local church. It's in my fiber. 20 years old, I heard a message at Assembly of God Church about tithing, and I've never not done it. And I'm not trying to get anything from you by saying that. I'm just saying, I heard it, I believed it, I've always practiced it, whether I had a lot or whether I had a little. And I'm telling you, I have never regretted any of it. I don't want your money. I don't. I don't want your money. I don't want our church just to stack up and store up. I I want us to do the things that God calls us to. But I'll tell you, whether it's this church or another church or giving to organizations, friends, I'm just saying, give. Give, give to the work of God's. It's the greatest investment. Practice giving, practice it. Don't do it once in a while. Paul says, don't do it by compulsion and don't do it by obligation. And so people feel like that's a way out of it. Don't do it by compulsion or obligation. You're compelled by or sort of this emotion or you feel like you have to. But it, what's amazing is, is that don't push off the burden that you, that you never should. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. It does something to us, especially with this cultural voice it's, that's affecting us. Jesus um, was in a conversation with what, who we call the rich young ruler, and he asked him, what can I do to attain eternal life? Jesus said, practice the commandments. And he said, I've done all that. I feel so good about myself. And Jesus said back to him in verse 21, Mark 10, he looked at him and he loved him. And he said, one thing you lack Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. You see that treasure in heaven? There it is again. You'll have treasure in heaven. Go give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. It says Jesus loved him. He loved his answer. He loved him. He loves us. He didn't look down on him, but he looked into his heart and he said, you lack something. You lack something. Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. And then you're going to have treasure in heaven. This principle was a test of his discipleship. I want you to learn that if you're going to follow me, you have to regularly be willing to put things on the altar and give away what you have because you have me and I'm more than everything else. And if you don't learn that at the beginning of your discipleship, you're going to struggle and negotiate all the way through in your Christian life. Jesus is worth it all. He has the right to say that to us at any time. See, friends, it wasn't about his stuff or having a lot to Jesus, but it was to the man. That's why the man was sad. But he lacked a surrendered heart that was dependent on the Lord. Jesus looked into his heart and saw that his possessions and his position possessed him. It possessed him. And that's the voice of the world today. It's possessing people. You need, you want, get more, acquire, accumulate, make you feel happy. It'll make you be awesome. It'll make you feel secure. No, it won't. But when you give to the kingdom of God, whether that's your time, talent, treasure, that's the reward of God. That's where our hearts are satisfied. Would you stand? I want to pray for us today. I want to ask you as we have come in today, if you are here and your struggle, putting this aside, but, but not saying it's not connected, if you're, if you're struggling and you're surrendered to God, like you, your light, your heart, not just money, money, finances, that's just a test of discipleship, but, but your life, your heart. If you came here today and you know your surrender to God, is not where it needs to be. Like your whole life, you, you, I believe, I, I'm trying to follow the best I can. That's, that's all great. But have you put your whole life in his hands? Are you surrendered? Are you fully his? I'm not asking you if you're perfect. We're all walking that out. It's gonna take you your whole life to walk that out. Are you fully his? Because you can't walk it out if you're not fully his. You can't apply this unless you're fully his. It just, it's it's going to fall on deaf ears. You've got to be fully his. Jesus, I give you my whole life, everything I am. And you can even admit you're afraid. I don't know what you're going to ask for. It makes me nervous. <laughs> makes me nervous. You can say that. But you say yes at the same time. Makes me nervous, but yes. I feel a certain way, but yes, because you're surrendered. If you came in today and you're wrestling with your surrender, I, I want to pray for you. And I'm asking you, before we leave, surrender your whole heart to Jesus right here. He honors moments of commitment. He really does. He'll do it right now, right here in this room together. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray. Father, we thank you.
in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for your word. It provokes us. We're living in a world that's got us on this conveyor belt to do a certain thing, to be a certain person. And your word, it helps us to get right off that conveyor belt so that we can live for the kingdom of God, your kingdom and your righteousness. And you'll take care of everything. And we say that over our lives. God will take care of everything in my life. He calls me to focus on him. So Lord, would you give us that perspective today? Would you give us an eternal perspective today, not about stuff or things or money or the acquiring thereof, but Lord, it's all about you. Would you give us that today? I thank you for our church. We wanna be more and more. I don't just wanna say we're a giving church. We are growing in giving. We are growing in surrender. We are growing in that. We're not where we, where we ought to be. We're not where we could be, but Lord, we're on our way. And I pray you would, you'd provoke us down that path even more. Whatever you want, Lord, Whatever you want, you have the only seat at the table of our heart. Would you speak to it both today and tomorrow, this week and month? Cultivate it, shape it for your glory. If you're here today and you know I, I shared with you, you need to surrender. I, I, I wanna ask you, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand because I wanna pray for you before we close. Ben, I need to surrender my whole heart to God, everything that I am. Raise your hand if that's you. Okay, there's several of us in the room. Anybody else? This isn't just about salvation, although you may never have given your heart to Jesus ever. That might be you. If that's you, Ben, I've never given my heart to Jesus Christ. I've never surrendered myself. If that's you, then I want you to come forward after the service and we're gonna pray for you up here. Say, say that to us up here. We wanna make that mean something to you. But for all of us that raise our hand, Father, I thank you for surrender in the room today. We declare that we surrender our hearts to you. Whatever you want, Whatever it means, we surrender to you in Jesus' name. Come on. And everybody said, amen. And Thanks for listening today. Pastor Ben's mission is to equip the church to impact the world. If you want to get connected, check the show notes and visit bendixon.org. From there, you can learn about Pastor Ben's other podcasts, the books he has written, Ignite Global Ministries, and the online Immersion Discipleship School.